0: Very cool. My name is Scott Gilliland. I'm one of the associate pastors here at Lovers Lane. We're excited to be in our newly renovated space. We got this new stage and there's like speakers under the stage that y'all can't see. And so when they play stuff, it like rumbles us up on here. It's kind of cool. And we got some new lights. We got a new altar. We got cameras. And so uh, we got a stage that I can walk around so I can really make the camera... People, we've got like students in our student ministry manning cameras, and I'm going to make their job really hard because I'm going to do a lot of this today. Like, oh, how far can we go? And now I'm going to go back over here, and then look over there, and then over there, and then back at that camera. And Scott Luganbill, who's running the switcher upstairs, is going to grow to hate me. So it's going to be a fun Sunday. Uh, you just heard from our senior pastor, Stan Copeland. We are in the second week of a sermon series that we are calling Then and Now where we are looking at some of the historical stories out of this church that we feel like uh, are part of our DNA. They they help to tell us where we're going in the future. So we're going to spend three weeks really looking at the history of Lovers Lane, and then we're going to spend four weeks talking about the future of this church and, and how we feel like God is calling us to get out into our communities today in the same way that God has called us in years past. So last week, If you missed the sermon or if you're listening to this online and you haven't listened to it yet, go back and and listen to Stan's message last week because he starts us off with sort of the beginning of Lover's Lane and the beginning of Tom Shipp's story as its pastor, really. Um, He he told us about a childhood story uh, that Tom used to always preach on that I'll get to later in this message as well. He also preached about, uh, Stan preached about uh, the the early ministry with alcoholics in the mid-40s, which um, if you knew anything about American culture in the mid-40s, especially church culture in America, uh, that was a bold thing to do, minister to alcoholics in that time. And so today we're going to jump forward about 15 or so years uh, to 1961. And to help us uh, come into this message this morning, I want to put yourselves in the shoes of who we just heard about, Ms. Bernice Johnson. I want you to imagine that you're in the hospital, and you've probably got some family, and maybe some, some close friends who come and visit you, but you don't have what you'd say a, a community that's there to support you. And, and one day, a pastor comes in, and he sits down with you, and he talks to you, but more importantly, he listens to you, and he holds your hand, and he prays with you. And in that moment, you, you feel yourself, as we'd say in the Methodist church, strangely warmed. <laughs> you, you feel like, hey, maybe this is a pastor that I could listen to. Maybe he's got a church that I could belong to, because I feel like I belong right now. And so you get out of the hospital, and, and you send a letter to the pastor saying, hey, I'm going to join your church. <laughs> That's exciting. What you don't see is that the letter is received, and all of a sudden people start to talk. Will he or won't he? Will they or won't they? And you go to church that Sunday, the Sunday you said you're going to join, and you sit down in in the pews, and, and during worship you notice that people are looking at their hymnals, but they're glancing at you. And they're watching the preacher, but they're looking in your direction every now and again. And then as the service comes to an end, what is normally a very regular part of the worship, this was a year they, they had over 500 people join the church. Every Sunday this happened. Pastor gets up. Anyone who wants to join, come forward. So you stand up. And you begin to walk down that aisle. And you notice that several others stand up too. But they're walking the opposite direction. You're walking to the front of the church and they're walking out the back doors. And as you're walking down the aisle, every step you take, you look and you see everyone staring at you. And some people look really happy. And some people are really excited. And some people look really confused or even concerned. And then some people look downright sick to their stomachs. That's not an experience that I've ever had. Have you? I don't know what it feels like to be feeling that level of rejection in that moment do you maybe you do what i do know is that this is a story that we uplift because bernice johnson was a brave woman even though she didn't think she was being brave she was a strong woman even though she didn't think she was being strong what she thought she was doing was a simple act of love and, and excitement about joining a church And we uplift this story even though we know that in some ways it doesn't have the happiest of endings. Because the rest of the story is that Bernice Johnson sent another letter several weeks later, letting Dr. Ship know that she was going to remove herself from the membership of Lover's Lane. Not because anyone asked her to, but because she realized that her presence was creating a distraction in her mind for the church. And she didn't want this church that she had grown to love so quickly. To get distracted simply because of her—that's a difficult letter to receive as a pastor. I gotta imagine. That's a difficult letter to receive, even 50 years later, as a congregation today. To think, man, that's where we were. We were, in some ways, we were getting things so right, and then in other ways, we still had such a far way to go. And today, we're going to talk about how far we have to go. Uh, our scripture choice this morning is from the book of Revelation. Woohoo! You're like, oh, righty. When I say the Scripture is going to be revelation, it's funny because I I always know there's going to be one of two responses. Either one is like, oh, I've never really read that. Or two, oh, Revelation. You know, very seldom are people like, yes, Revelation! And if they are, they might be a little crazy, right? Because um, when we learn about Revelation, a lot of times, especially in popular books and stuff, it's usually very doom and gloom, right? Uh, it's all about the apocalypse and the end times and were the Mayans right? Or is, or is, what, is this guy right? Is it going to be this year, next year? Is it going to be in five years? Ah! That's not really what the book of Revelation is about. The book of Revelation is, uh, is a book about this big fancy word in Christian circles. I say this a lot in this worship service, that Christian theologians, we love to make up really big fancy words that we don't actually need. Um, and one of those words is eschatology. Can you say eschatology? I'm going to give our, our translator a second to spell that out because it's a long one. Eschatology is a really fancy word. God bless you eschatology is a really fancy word that means the happy ending. <laughs> right? It's the happy ending of the story. Revelation, you might have read it before and you and you remember seeing things about dragons or about beasts or about lakes of fire. And yeah, those are all in there. It gets a little Lord of the Rings in the middle. Okay. But the end of the book is a happy ending this the story of revelation is the story of a man named john receiving this vision this happy ending vision from god where he he sees the kingdom of god fully realized on earth and he sees the person of christ fully realized in our faith here on earth and he sees that all of humanity is bowing and kneeling and praising god together and he sees that all of us are fully in the presence of god that sounds like a good thing right that won't sell as many books (laughs) So our scripture this morning comes from the book of Revelation. It, it gives us a happy ending vision of where we know that we're going, and yet sometimes it feels like, how are we going to get there? Let's read it together now. He says, after this I looked, and there was a great crowd. He sees this vision of a great crowd that no one could number. They were from every nation, tribe, people, and language. They were standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They wore white robes and held palm branches in their hands. They cried out with a loud voice, Victory belongs to our God who sits on the throne and victory belongs to the Lamb. All the angels stood in a circle around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell face down before the throne and worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and always. Amen. That's a pretty good happy ending, right? Y'all are like, I didn't know Revelation had that stuff in there. You ought to read it for yourself. Don't just trust the crazies on TV, right? um revelation's a great book and this is a great vision because it says that every nation every tongue every tribe is gathered around and sharing in this experience that can be a hard vision to digest in a world where we have to deal with racism on a daily basis racism is one of those things that we can't hide from we can't stop talking about even though it might make us weary because the reality is the bible tells us we've got to figure this out Because part of our happy ending vision is tied up in how we get along with our brothers and sisters from every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. We can't bury our heads in the sand on this one church. And if we take our story seriously of understanding Bernice Johnson, we know that Lover's Lane as a church is kind of uniquely in this position of here and not yet. Do you know what I mean by that? In some ways, I feel like our church gets this idea better than most. And then in some ways, I know that our church has a long way to go. And a lot of that is tied up in Bernice's story, and a lot of that is tied up in our story even today. So today I want to talk about how do we get from Bernice Johnson needing to send a letter to say, I'm removing myself from membership because I feel like I'm a distraction. How do we get from there to all tribes, all nations, all tongues praising God together, saying our God together in a happy ending vision? How do we get there? And today I'm gonna to break it down into four basic movements that I think we need to make as individuals, as a church. And those four movements are this we we, we start with Ms. Johnson's story and we start with rejection. That's where this conversation always starts with rejection. And then we're gonna to move to oh <coughs> sorry, we're gonna to move to assimilation. And then from assimil- assimilation, we're gonna to move to toleration. And then from toleration, we're going to move to celebration. That's the movement we're going to go on today. And I hope you'll join with me. Can we pray together before we start? Gracious God, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a cool room to worship in as a break from the summer heat. God, let us keep in mind all of those in our community who will not get a break from the heat today. God, as we prepare to talk about the difficult topic of racism and inclusion and what is normal. God, I ask that you would bind us to yourself this morning, bind us to your spirit. Bind us to this happy ending vision and don't let us go. Allow us to see that this is not only possible, it is your preferred future that you are working to bring about. Keep us walking humbly in your will. In your son's name, amen. So let's talk about rejection. Um, in the story of Lovers Lane, today when I talk about each of these movements, so I'm going to do two things. I'm going to talk about this part of the movement in our church's history, and I'm going to talk about it in terms of our personal walk with Christ. Okay? Um, and so when we talk about rejection, obviously I think about in our story, I think about the fact that Miss Johnson didn't get necessarily a happy ending with our church. And what she did was important. What she did changed our church for the better. I know that to be true, but I know that she personally might not have gotten the happy ending that she needed in that moment. She understood better than most do what it feels like to be rejected. The fact that, that even today we have people who walk into churches and are not made to feel at home, that's, it pains me that the church is a place where people might feel rejected. And for a lot of us, we have to own the fact that we have never felt rejected in a setting like that. I know that I've walked into a church a million times and never once did I question my right to be there, right? Like that's not a part of my story and it's a part of so many people's stories. But if I'm going to own the old times when I've rejected, all of us have been in the same position where we have rejected people or ideas or cultures in our own lives. And that is because they don't fit in with what we consider to be the norm, We're going to talk about the word norm a lot today. And maybe you're not used to hearing that word or using that word. When I say the word norm, I mean the measuring stick. It's a word that we use in philosophy or theology to mean what's the measuring stick that we're putting everything else up against. And see, we've got to understand this idea of the norm or else we're never going to be able to move along. Because as long as we stay blind to what we see as the norm, rejection is going to be the constant for us. Because anything that doesn't fit in with the measuring stick... It moves on it gets shoved out right Bernice Johnson was not the norm for a church like Lover's Lane in 1961 and so Bernice Johnson felt rejected because when she stood up against the measuring stick she realized that she didn't measure up so if we talk about our own personal lives let's not just talk about history today if we talk about our personal lives our personal walk with Christ I think about those times when I simply do not want Christ in my life because I don't want anything about me or my norms to change. I'm perfectly comfortable with who I am. Thank you. See you later, God. Right? Have you ever been in this position before where you've decided, yeah, I don't really feel like conversing with God on this one because I know that God might actually want to change me, and that's not going to happen. So I'm just going to not talk. I'm just going to not read. I'm just going to not go to church because I'm happy with where I am. Right? This is an, it's a hard place to move us out of that position because it means that we have to challenge what our norm is we have to become open and ready to be changed so um the question i want us to think about in terms of rejection is this and there's gonna be four questions you're gonna leave here with this morning if you've got a notepad write them down jot them down take a picture i don't care but these are questions i like really want us to consider as we it's weird like church should actually impact your week um so first question we're going to ask up on the screens is, am I rejecting that culture or that idea or that person simply because they challenge my norms? That's a hard one to ask. Because the, the God's honest truth is we like people and ideas and things that are like us, right? Game of Thrones fans in the room? Anybody? Hands up. It's the premiere. What is hype? We'll never die. Yes. Yes. Do not be ashamed, not in church. Come on, Game of Thrones fans. I know all of the adults in the room are like, my pastor watches Game of Thrones. Yes, for one reason, it is awesome. That is all I need to say. It is an awesome show. Um, We like people who are like us. like, oh, you watch Game of Thrones? Oh, I watch Game of Thrones. Let's talk about Game of Thrones. Or like, you like the Cowboys? I like the Cowboys. You like the Eagles? You're a terrible person. Like, we like people and things and ideas that are like us. And we tend to want to push out people things and ideas that challenge our norm if you want to start a conversation with me about how tony roma was a trash quarterback i will not be your friend like it's not going to happen and i will not allow you to join a membership on this stage stan said it's the pastor's call um If we're going to move past rejection, we have to own our norms. We have to own those things that we think are normal, that the reality is for millions of people and billions of people around the world may not be normal. You have to own your culture. You have to own your ideas. You have to own who you are, and you have to acknowledge that not everybody is the same, and that's a really hard thing to grasp. And not only are they not the same, it might be okay if they're not, right? Okay, so let's keep moving. Assimilation is step two. This is we move from rejection to assimilation. And, and what this is in the, in the history of our church, I would say this is probably the next uh, 20 to 30 years in the life of Lover's Lane. Lover's Lane didn't stop reaching out and trying to be the kind of church that Bernice Johnson needed us to be. Um, In fact, what's fascinating is that it was the children and youth ministries who would sort of lead that effort in the following decade or so. It wasn't the adults. Because, you know, adults, we look for the ways that we're different. Adults look for the ways to divide. Adults look for ways to break things down. And kids just don't understand that stuff yet. They don't understand what's different about each other, except like you like mac and cheese and I don't like mac and cheese. Like that's what's different for kids. They don't think like, oh, you know, you're Latino and I'm African-American. That means we can't be friends. Like they, don't think that way, right? And so it's the kids and the youth ministries that kind of spearhead this outreach, this effort for Lover's Lane to start becoming integrated and different as a church in Dallas. The first integrated ministry on our campus was a Boy Scout troop, right? Like it was the kids leading the way. And over the course of the next 10, 20, 30 years, Lover's Lane began to reflect that mentality a little bit more and a little bit more. But there was one thing kind of wrong with that, that of course, as we grow back in hindsight 2020, you begin to realize, okay, What we were doing is we're inviting people in, but they've got to fit in, right? We're still using the measuring stick and we're still using the norm. You can come into worship but it's gonna be traditional worship. And we're gonna sing the songs that we like, and we're gonna expect you to dress the way that we dress, and you're, we're gonna expect you to behave the way that we behave, and you should sing at the volume that we sing, and you should like the things that we like, right? We understand what assimilation is. But that's, that's the second step we get to where we go, okay, I don't mind things that are different than me, I just want them to change and become like me, right? <laughs> yeah, like, and so let's take it from history to personal walk with Christ. Like, in my walk with Christ, How often do I have a faith in Christ I say, yeah, I'm so glad that Christ believes all the things that I do. You know, it's just so nice to open up the Bible and just see every one of my preconceived notions confirmed in Scripture. It's fantastic. I love it. Um, Never mind all those chapters that make me have to actually challenge myself. You know, this is, in my opinion, maybe the greatest sin of the church, and that is forcing Jesus, actually pretending like we have a relationship with Jesus, but then forcing Jesus to look more like me as opposed to the other way around. Forcing Jesus to believe the things that Scott believes. Forcing Jesus to, to call me to do the things that I, that I already want to do. Forcing Jesus to become safe and sanitized and easy to swallow. That might be the greatest sin of the church. It's the thing that Jesus preached against in, in the temple the most when he was alive and doing ministry here on earth. In my personal life with others, the question I want us to ask ourselves as, as, we, as we go this week... Do I, do I honestly wish that everyone around me was a little bit more like me? Do I wish that everyone around me was more like me? Now, some of us are shaking our heads like, no, I don't. And like, good, you're, you're woken up. That's good. Um, most of us should be able to say, no, I really don't want that. Because I think the, the honest truth is human nature says Yes. I want the people around me to regurgitate my opinions and to wear the same jersey that I wear and to eat like the same food that I like to eat and listen to the same music that I like to listen to. I want everyone to be just like me. I want the world to assimilate into the culture of me, into the norm of me. And y'all, like, that'd be a pretty terrible world. I love all y'all. I love everyone in this room, even the ones that I just met or even if I haven't yet. Like, I I do. I I love you at like a basic level. I want to get to know you. Because then, once I get to know you, I'm going to know that I don't want a world full of you. I don't. I don't want a world full of me. I don't want a world full of you. Like it would fall apart. It would fall. If the world was full of me, there would be no technological advances. We would still be sitting in cave huts. Like there wouldn't be Netflix. But I just sit there drawing pictures on the wall. Like <laughs> I love this one. This was the, where the buffalo. They get the buffalo in this one. It's good. It's a good one right? That's that for 20,000 years. It would just be that, right? There would be, because at the end of the day, I am in human nature, very lazy. Like I have to acknowledge that about myself. I'm a lazy person. Like if you leave it up to me, I'm going to be in my sweatpants watching Netflix. And it's because of the gift of Reagan Gilliland who cleans the house at 930 at night for reasons beyond my imagination that I actually get off of my tookus and do anything in this life. Like it's, it's incredible. So you don't want a world full of you and I don't want a world full of me. So we gotta ask ourselves, do I, do I wish that everyone was actually more like me? And we need to get to a point where we can say no. Okay, we move to toleration. Ah. Toleration. This is where a lot of people think that the, that the journey stops, unfortunately. Uh, I got hot sports opinions about this one. Toleration, tolerance is a word that we uplift a lot these days. And I don't think it's as good as we think it is. I think it's good. I think it's better than assimilation and it's better than rejection. But I don't think it's the goal. And it's not the revelation, uh, good ending vision that we we need. I'll tell you why. I think that our church as it is today, we are somewhere between toleration and celebration. I think that we are leaving the toleration era of lover's lane. And, And why do I say that? Because toleration says, I get that you're different than me. And I don't need you to be like me, but I don't want you to change me, and I want you to stay over there. Do you, see, do, you see the, do you see the difference between the first two? First one's like, I don't like you, get away, don't even interact with me, right? Second one is, come on in, but you got to be like me. Toleration is, okay, like I'll allow you around me, but let's be clear, I'm not changing, and you'd better not have any, have any expectations of that, and, and I kind of want you to stay in your own zone, right? And, and in some ways, that's where we've been for about 10 to 15 or 20 years at Lover's Lane. And hear me correctly, I don't think it's bad. I just think it's not good enough, right? There's a difference. So when we invite Heart of Africa to worship in Ship Chapel, and we invite Zimbabwe worship to worship in the, in the parlor, and we invite a deaf fellowship to gather in our, in our churches, that's great, That's great. And we give them spaces and we let them be who they are and we celebrate their culture from a distance. But sanctuary worship is the same it's been. And modern worship is the same that it's been. And we're not really feeling the effects of being in relationship with our community. Now we're beginning to. I said we're somewhere in between toleration and celebration. I think in the last five to ten years we've begun to move. We've begun to realize that simply having the silos is not enough. It's not enough. We've got to find ways to break those silos down and get us all together so that sanctuary worship looks differently because of Zimbabwe and Heart of Africa and Deaf Fellowship, so that Thrive looks differently because of Deaf Fellowship and because of Zimbabwe and Heart of Africa, so that Heart of Africa and Zimbabwe are enriched by the presence of us too. How can we find ourselves meshing together so that we're built up together? But tolerance, tolerance isn't enough to simply say, I see you, I know you're different. You don't have to change, but just just stay over there. And I know it's not enough because I, earlier in the message I talked about, Stan last week told the story of Tom Shipp. He told the story of how Tom Shipp was a boy. When he was a boy, he had to go live with two different families during his teenage years um, because his family. He, he had to go and work and live with them. And so um, the first family he went and lived with uh, tolerated his presence. Um, he was allowed to eat, but on the back patio after everyone else was finished. He was allowed to sleep, but in the barn. He was allowed to go to church, but he was not allowed to fully participate in church. He could sit and be quiet, but he couldn't receive communion. Then he goes to his second family's home. This is where we're going to talk about celebration. He goes to the second family's home, and he's got a seat at the table, and he's got a bed in the room, and he's got new clothes and new shoes. And he's allowed to go to church. Not just that, this new father fights for his right to have communion. Stan told us this, tells the story of that last week. I won't go into it. i encourage you to listen to it yourself. But he fights for his right to have communion. In, in this second home, Tom feels what it's like to go from being tolerated to being celebrated. Because no longer was his presence an annoyance or this thing that was kept at arm's length. He, this new family said, come. Come and be a part. Come and be our son. Come and be a part of our life and our home and our beds and our tables and our church and our everything. So when we talk about tolerance, I want us to ask ourselves this week, have we convinced ourselves that toleration is the end goal? Is that what we think the end goal is? Are we saying that tolerance is all we're striving towards? Because I'll tell you guys, Revelation chapter 7 says nothing about tolerance. It says nothing about tolerance. It's not as bad as assimilation or rejection, but guys, it's not as good as we need to be. So this week, I want you to ask yourself, Is have I convinced myself that toleration is the goal? Now, if we're going to make it to celebration, the only way that we make this leap is if we learn how to change our norm. I mentioned the norm at the, at the beginning of, of the sermon. The norm is the measuring stick. Rejection says you don't measure up, you're out. Assimilation says you don't measure up yet, we'll get you there, <laughs> in a really passive-aggressive manner. And superior manner. Uh, Toleration says, You don't measure up, um, so you're fine, just not here. Celebration says, I don't measure up either because the measuring stick is God, the measuring stick is Christ. Can we walk together? Can we worship together? Can we live together? Can we be the church together? Can we gather around the throne together? Do you see the shift? I'm the norm. I'm the norm. Still the norm. I'm not the norm. The norm is so far above me. It's so far beyond me. The only thing I can do in the presence of the norm named God, named Christ, is simply bow and praise and be thankful. Be thankful that there's something beyond me That is the norm (laughs) be thankful that there's something beyond me that gathers brothers and sisters from every nation every tribe and every tongue together if we're going to learn how to celebrate different cultures different ideas different ways of living different races different nations different tongues if we're going to learn how to celebrate that we've got to stop using ourselves as the norm traditional sanctuary worship is not the only style of worship that jesus had in mind there's not a book in the bible that says here's how to do a worship service Here's the liturgy. I'm like, no, this is not the be all, end all of worship. There is nothing in the Bible about lighting cues, right? It's not there. What is in the Bible is something really simple. Worship seems to me to be this thing where we all humble ourselves in the presence of God and we find as many of our brothers and sisters who want to do the same thing. So, the question I want us to ask ourselves, because, like, we as a church, we're moving in this direction, right? I said we're somewhere between toleration and celebration. We even have named this. We've named this in our dream statement. If you've never seen our dream statement, you know Stan is really good about statements. Nothing gets Stan going like a good statement. It's like, statement time! Um, we've got a mission statement, loving all people in relationship with Jesus Christ. We've got a vision statement, something, something, something that I can't quite remember. But there's good stuff in there. It's good stuff. Here's the dream statement. In the dream statement, we talk about dreaming that one day, one day, and we're not sure how we're getting there, but one day we want to be a harmonious blend, or a sacred harmony, rather, a sacred harmony of all God's children. I love the way that we name that a sacred harmony, because in, in, in a harmony in music, it's comprised of different notes. It's not the same note again and again and again and again, It's different notes, and the way they come together is beautiful. And we name this idea of celebrating all nations and tongues and races by saying we want to be a sacred harmony of God's children. And so as we go from this day, as we go about our weeks, as we consider what it means to be a people who are open and receptive to different cultures and different ways of thinking and different ideas and different people, Really, there's one question that's going to help us move along this track further than any other. The question is, who is your life centered around? Who is your norm? As long as you're saying it's you, and we got to be real honest with ourselves, people, as long as you honestly think that the norm in this world is you, you're going to be stuck, and I'm going to be stuck, and we're going to be stuck together. But as, as soon as we can make a shift and we can say it's not me, But it's God. God is my norm. God is my measuring stick and nothing else. As soon as we can do that, all of a sudden the floodgates open up and that happy ending starts to look a little bit closer. Do you guys want a happy ending vision with me? Does revelation sound like a good thing to you? If it does, say amen. I'm sorry, Lovers Lane. Does all nations and all tongues and all races gather around praising hallelujah to the God that we all love? If that sounds good to you, can you say amen? It sounds good to me too. (laughs) Susan's cracking up because they all clap. That's awesome. I love you, Susan. Um, So there's one thing I want to close on today, and that's this. I, I wish that Bernice Johnson was in front of me so that I could tell her how important her story really is. I wish that I could talk to Bernice Johnson. I could let her know that every step that she took Every step she took down that aisle that Sunday morning in 1961 allowed our doors to creak open a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. And And what I'd love for her to know is that this church, I'd love for her to be able to walk the hallways of this church. I'd love for her to be able to see the kind of worship that we get to experience on Sunday morning. I wish she could see y'all. I wish she could stand up here and, and see this worship service. I wish she could come with me to the Arboretum this Saturday at 2 o'clock to see the Zimbabwean choir of Lover's Lane perform at the Dallas Arboretum. Do you think that would have been possible in 1961? I don't think so. I wish that she could see how important her story was, that even though it didn't mean a happy ending for her in that moment, it's brought this church so much closer to our happy ending together. Let's pray. Holy God, mighty God, God who is infinitely above us and yet also right beside us. This morning, we ask that you challenge us. We ask that you challenge what we consider to be normal. We ask that you challenge our measuring sticks. Mostly God, we ask that you would humble us that you would allow us to move along the path of rejection and assimilation and toleration and celebration. So that we could begin to see the world around us as brothers and sisters equally in search of an amazing God. As opposed to people who need to get lost or need to look more like us or need to stay away. God, allow us to be changed. Allow us to walk into worship services that we might not feel at home. Allow us to break down the silos in our own church to recognize that we've done a lot of good with your help, that we've come a long way with your grace, but there is still a ways to go. God, most of all, in the quiet moments, the moments of self-reflection. allow us to see you as our measuring stick. Allow us to be challenged by you and to be graced by you so that we might become better than we are today. And God, when all is said and done, let us see that revelation vision. Let us be present when all nations, all tribes, and all tongues are gathered around your throne and praising your holy name. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we say and we pray. Amen.